What a mighty God we serve and what wonderful worship we have been able to partake in thus far. If you're visiting with us for the first time, as it was already extended by Pastor Nate, I would like to just welcome you. And we are so glad as a church that you are here uh, with us. Um, Today, we switched up the service a little bit and we're doing a different format. So for those of you who are used to something else, uh, we thank you for your patience and thank you for your uh, willingness and alertness uh, to worship in this manner. If you all can stand to your feet with your Bibles in your hand and turn to Mark chapter 14. And we're going to look at verses 26 to 31 today, as well as verse 66 through 72 and 16, 6 through 7. Uh, I'll walk you through those other verses. Amen? Mark chapter 14. If you don't have your Bible, a Bible with you, you can still stand and, and read uh, off of the screen here. And you should be able to follow along with us just fine. Today we'll be talking from the subject, uh, trust the process, trust the process, trust the process. Verse 26 reads, and when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives and Jesus said to them, you will all fall away for it is written. I will strike the shepherd, and the sheep will be scattered. But after I am raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. And Peter said to him, Even though they all fall away, I will not. And Jesus said to him, Truly I tell you, this very night, before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. But he said emphatically, If I must die with you, I will not deny you. And they all said the same. We'll go to verse 66. And as Peter was below in the courtyard, one of the servant girls of the high priest came. And seeing Peter warming himself, she looked at him and said, You also were the Nazarene, were with the Nazarene Jesus. But he denied it, saying, I neither know nor understand what you mean. And he went on, went out into the gateway, and the rooster crowed. And the servant girl saw him and began again to say to the bystanders, This man is one of them. But again he denied it. And after a little while, the bystanders again said to Peter, Certainly you are one of them, for you are a Galilean. But he began to invoke a curse on himself and to swear, I do not know this man of whom you speak. And immediately the rooster crowed a second time. And Peter remembered how Jesus had said to him, Before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. And he broke down and wept. Chapter 16, looking at verse 6 and 7. And he said to them, Do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. But go tell his disciples and Peter that he is going before you to Galilee. You may be seated. Trust the process. Look at your neighbor. Say, neighbor. Neighbor. Trust his process. process. Look at somebody else. Say, "Neighbor." neighbor. I'm going to trust his process. Because he is not through with me yet. Amen. He's not through with me yet. The story is told that Tommy Lasorda, the former manager of the Los Angeles Dodgers, nicknamed a skinny pitcher who was new to the Dodgers minor league system, The youngster was somewhat somewhat timid and and somewhat afraid, but Lasorda uh, saw something in him. He saw a a potential for greatness. So he looked at this timid, skinny, young kid and decided to give him a nickname. He nicknamed him the Bulldog. He looked at this kid who was timid, saw something in him, and called out what was in him. By renaming him. 
or Hershiser, a.k.a. the Bulldog, would go on to win the All-Star MVP, go on to be the Cy Young uh, winner, uh, go on to have many, many acclamations come his way through his Major League Baseball career. Uh, he has gone down in history as one of the most dominating pitchers of all time. And part of the reason why he became who he was, he admits, is because his coach saw something in him that he didn't see in himself. And his coach pulled that out of him. Today, as we look at the text, we see that, that Peter is a, a key figure in, in what we're looking at. Peter had a very vast personality. Peter was a very impulsive, very bold, and even short-fused person. In fact, one author says that uh, Peter was the apostle with the foot-shaped mouth. In other words, Peter had a proclivity, a tendency to, to eat his own words. Peter had the raw ability that he needed, though, if it was channeled and harnessed the right way to be the leader of the early church. So what Jesus did early on is he saw Peter's frailty. He saw his weaknesses, but he also saw his gifts. And he chose to rename Peter just like that manager renamed Hershiser. In John chapter 1, verse 42, we see that Jesus meets Peter for possibly the first time. And the text says he, that is Andrew, Peter's brother, brought him to Jesus. And Jesus looked at him and said, so you are Simon, the son of Jonah. But you shall be called Peter. Peter. Jesus looks at Simon, which was his original name. And he says, you shall be called Peter. He says, you are, but you shall be. The word Peter uh, is the word, the literally named Cephas. And that word means a, a stone or a rock. Peter, who was bold. Peter, who was impulsive. Peter, who was sometimes wishy-washy and, and put his foot in his mouth. Jesus looks at him and says, you're that way, but one day you shall be sturdy. One day you shall be a foundation. One day you shall have self-control. One day you will be a pastor, a leader that others will look at for encouragement. You are Simon now, but you shall be Peter. In the same way, the Christian life is and for all of us, uh, we, we are or we were one thing, but God is making us to be something else. First Corinthians chapter 517, a very familiar verse says, if any man is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old things are passed away. Behold, all things become new. Paul tells the church of Christ that if you are in Christ, that is, if you have given your heart, your life, to Jesus and made him Lord of your life. If you have looked to him by faith, then you are new. You are new. That old man, Simon, is dead. And the new man is, ar is, is arisen. Now, what, what Paul is doing there is, is telling us that positionally, when God looks at us, we are new. Positionally, when God sees us, he sees us under the blood of Jesus, in Christ, hidden in him. But even though we are positionally new creatures, practically we still deal with the old man. And sometimes we look more like Simon than we do Peter. Sometimes we look more like the old us than we do the new us. But Paul in that verse is talking to the church of Corinth and he's calling them by their new name. In order to encourage them to be that spiritual bulldog that he knows that they can be, to have spiritual tenacity, to not be timid, to be bold in the promises of God and proclaiming the glories of our Savior. Here we see a picture of what it means to be a Christian, even as we look on Peter's failures. 
Now, Jesus called uh, Simon uh, Peter sometimes, and sometimes he called Peter Simon sometimes. He, he uses those names interchangeably without, throughout the gospel. In fact, the other gospel writers do the same thing. Sometimes Simon is Simon, and sometimes he's Peter. When does he call him Simon? He normally refers to Simon as Simon, the gospel gospel authors, when they're just talking about natural stuff. So sometimes they refer to Simon's home. And rather than just saying Peter's house, they say Simon's house. Sometimes they refer to Simon's mother-in-law. And rather than just saying Peter's mother-in-law, he normally just says Simon's mother-in-law. And sometimes when he's just talking about natural stuff, family, he's Simon. But he also calls Simon Simon when Simon is not acting like he should be. Sometimes Jesus calls Simon Simon in order to remind him, man, you are acting like the old you. You are not trusting the process, the transformation that I have called you to. For example, in Mark chapter 14, we see that Jesus is in Gethsemane and he's with his disciples and he takes those who are closest to him and he tells them to sit and, and watch and to pray for an hour. But we know, as we looked at last week, that the disciples constantly fell asleep while praying. So Jesus goes to this inner circle as they are falling asleep in the garden, and he jolts Peter by calling him Simon. He says, Simon, get up! In order, in order to say, hey man, you're being unstable. You're being very wishy-washy right now. You're acting out of the old, the old man. So sometimes he's Simon, sometimes he's Peter, sometimes gospel authors just call him both, Simon Peter. Maybe he's stepping in and out of that that call (laughs) at the same time. In verses 16, 26, excuse me, through 31, we see Peter's confidence. Peter's confidence. Verse 26 says, and when they had song a hymn, they're coming from taking the Lord's Supper, they went out to the Mount of Olives, and Jesus said to them, you will all fall away, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd, and the sheep will scatter, but after I am raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. And Peter said to him, even though they all fall away, I will not. And Jesus said to him, truly, I tell you this very night before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. But he said emphatically, emphatically, if I must die with you, I will not deny you. And they all said the same. In this text, we see Peter's confidence, Peter's confidence. Peter here, uh, we know, denies that he's going to deny Jesus. And he does so in a very emphatic way. And a lot of times when we read this story, this narrative, we will be tempted to say, you know, Peter's messed up. He he makes this emphatic statement and he doesn't doesn't follow through with it. Uh, He was a coward or he was weak. And and if I was in that situation, I would have stuck by Jesus. But what we want to understand here is that Peter, the reason why the the gospel writers are just pointing out Peter and and Mark, uh, which Peter helped write, but in all of the gospels, why they're singling in on Peter so much through the gospel is because Peter represented the best of them. Peter was the leader of the disciples. Like I said, he was bold. He put his foot in his mouth, but he was a natural born leader. And Jesus was trying to shape him and pull that out of him. He represents the best of us. Whenever the Gospels mention the 12 disciples in all four Gospels, Peter is named first. Whenever there was a big decision to be made and and Jesus asks an important question, it is Peter who speaks up first. Why? Because Peter is the strongest of the disciples. So Peter's denial of Jesus and his emphatic stance is the best of us standing up, believing that we can represent Jesus well, believing that we love him deep enough to know better than he knows. Because that's the issue here in these five verses. Jesus comes to Peter with a divine word. He quotes scripture. He says, as it is written, he, he quotes Zechariah. 
You will fall away, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will scatter. But after I am raised up, I will go before you in Galilee. Part of it is scripture. Part of it is what he's just telling them, a a prophetic word. He's saying the Bible says this. This will happen. And Peter says no. Why does Peter say no? I believe it's because he genuinely loved Jesus. He has walked with Jesus for three years, three and a half years. He he quit his profession. He quit his job. He gave up everything for Jesus. He left his home in order to follow this, this radical teacher who wasn't being accepted by the religious leaders of the day. He did this because he had a deep friendship with Jesus. So when Jesus tells Peter this is going to happen as a friend, he's like, there is no way possible. I believe that that Peter had every intention to follow through with his resolution. The problem is his resolution was not given to the Lord. The problem is his confidence was not a confidence that was empowered by the Holy Spirit, but it was a confidence that he had in in his own self. In his own self. He believes that in and by of, of himself he can keep his resolutions. He believes that he's strong enough in his own strength. God is exposing Peter's weakness. And he's trying to just teach the disciples a, a lesson that if you resolve anything without me, you will fail. And many of us, we make resolutions, right? We make New Year's resolutions and we get them started. We're going for a month or two and we know that we fail quite often, don't we? And some of you right now, you're frustrated because last week you made a resolution to do something bold for God or to read your Bible every day or to pray and and to be this great Christian. And you know about halfway through the week that just wasn't going well, was it? We all make resolutions and we all fail. And anytime we make a resolution, anytime we make up our mind to do anything apart from God, we have to know that we will. We have to know that we will fail. So Jesus is trying to teach the disciples that the only way they're going to be successful at anything is if they're depending upon God and not upon themselves. That's what we're learning in Gethsemane. Jesus is telling them temptation is about to come. Trials are about to come. And he's saying, "You, you must pray. Trust me, it's going to come. If you don't pray, you're going to fail. And out of their human weakness, they fall asleep and they fail. They fail miserably. 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 11 through 12. Incredible verse. Paul is praying for the church at Thessalonica. Look what he says. To this end, we always pray for you. What are you praying, Paul? That our God may make you worthy of his calling and may fulfill every resolve for good and every work of faith by his power. Paul is praying for the church at Thessalonica that when they stand up to make a resolution, when they stand up and say, God, I'm going to do something for you, he's praying two things. He's saying, number one, I pray, I pray that God will fulfill it. Because Paul knows that their resolutions will not be fulfilled if they just resolve and don't give their resolution to God. But he's also praying that that every work of faith, that their resolutions be work of faith in God. And not in and of themselves. Verse 12. So that the name of our Lord Jesus may be glorified in you. And in him according to the grace of our God and Lord Jesus Christ. He's praying. So so I'm praying that your resolutions may be fulfilled by faith. That you may give them to the Lord by faith. And that the Holy Spirit may empower your resolutions. In order that God will be glorified. Sometimes we make resolutions because we want to be strong. And we want people to see that we're strong. Or sometimes we make resolutions and, and, and we stand in confidence on things because we want to prove something to ourselves, or prove something to our neighbor, or prove something to our pastor, or prove something to our friend. But may our resolve, may our resolutions always be grounded in a, a desire to see God glorified and a desire to see his glory abounding and growing in us for his name's sake. What Peter does here in verses 26 through 31 is Peter is operating on pride. Pride. Anytime we have confidence in ourselves, in our own ability, it is prideful. And it is sinful. Proverbs chapter 16 verse 18 says, When pride comes, 
It says pride comes, then comes disgrace. Whenever we try to do anything, even, even for Jesus, even for God, and it's done out of a heart that says I can do it because I'm strong enough, we should know that we're going we're gonna to fail and we're going we're gonna to fail pretty hard. Proverbs chapter 29, verse 23 says, a, pride, a man's pride brings him low, but a lowly spirit gains honor. Now, Mark doesn't record this, but in Luke's gospel, we read that in Gethsemane, right before Jesus begins to preach and Jesus begins to pray, the disciples are once again arguing. And guess what they're arguing about once again? They are arguing about who is the greatest amongst them. Jesus is straight up, he's trying to break this heart of self-dependence and self-confidence and self-salvation that's in the disciples. He's, he's chipping away at it. And he's allowing them to fail. Instead of trusting Jesus' divine word, the disciples are trusting their own strength. And sometimes we do that in areas of our life. Instead of trusting the divine word of God, what God says, what God says about our relationships, what God says about our marriage, what God says about our future, we say, no, I know God said that, but for me it's going to be different. I'm going to be able to, I'm going to, be able to work this out. Because even though this person isn't a Christian that I'm dating or that I'm seeing, I'm, I, I believe that I'm strong enough to convert them over to Christ. And we resolve to do it because we think we're different. We think we're different. That plays out in a number of different ways. And we see Peter falling and we see Peter failing. We see Peter playing the other disciples. He straight played these men. You know, it's one thing to say, I'm not going to fall away. It's another thing to say, they may fall away, but I'm not going to fall away. (laughs) That just shows how warped he was in his own opinion of himself, thinking more highly of himself. So we see Peter's confidence. And then in verses 66 through 72, we see Peter's failure. We see Peter's failure. And as Peter was below in the courtyard, one of the servant girls of the high priest came. And seeing Peter warming himself, she looked at him and said, you also were with the Nazarene Jesus. But he denied it, saying, I neither know nor understand what you mean. And he went out into the gateway and the rooster crowed. This is absolutely hilarious to me. It's sad, but it's hilarious. It it shows our humanity and it shows our true depravity and weakness. Jesus in Mark chapter 13 was teaching the disciples and he was telling them that all this is about to come to the end. And one day you're going to be dragged before kings and, and princes and you're going to be questioned and beaten and flogged. And, and, and you're going to have to stand for the gospel and contend for it, right? So they've heard Jesus preach this. Now Jesus affirms and says, this is going to happen to me, to, to me, Peter. I'm going to be taken away. Peter says, no, even if I have to die or go to prison for you, I will. Shortly after we see uh, Jesus being taken captive by Judas and the high priest and, and, and the Roman guards. And what happens? Peter is following Jesus and he sees Jesus on trial. Jesus being spit upon and beat and disrespected by his enemies. And the Bible says that Peter is in the courtyard, not far off, and he is able to hear and able to see this. And while he's keeping himself warm by a fire, the Bible says that a servant girl, a servant girl sees him and says, hey, you, you hang out with Jesus. Now let me say this. Peter just emphatically said that he would stand. And he falls. Not to a king questioning him. He falls. Not to a Roman centurion questioning him. He falls to a a servant girl. She was a fourth class citizen. Back in the day, the men were first class citizens. Women were second class citizens. Children were third class citizens. Servants were fourth class citizens. Not only was she a servant, but she was a little girl servant. This one who promised and made this great resolution to stand before kings for Jesus can't even stand before the questioning of a little girl. And you say, man, Peter, you're right. What a coward. 
But apart from God, that's every single one of us. Apart from God's grace, that's us. In Acts chapter 4, we see the apostles, they're coming together to pray. And what are they praying for? They're praying for boldness. Because they know that in and of themselves, if they resolve to go and share the gospel with people into the ends of the world without the Holy Spirit, that they will buckle just like Peter did on his day. Peter fails because he is walking in the flesh and not in the spirit. Not only does he buckle at this young girl's questioning, verse 69 says, and the servant girl saw him and began again to say to the bystander, this man is one of them. So she's riling people up now. She's, she's trying to, she's like, hey, 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 y'all come here. He's one of them. And Peter's just sweating, you know. He is sweating. And let's look, and look at what he says. This man is one of them. But again, he denied it. And after a little while, the bystanders again said to Peter, certainly you are one of them. You are a Galilean. They said, you can't hide your accent. You can't hide the way you walk and talk. We know who you are, verse 71. But he began to invoke a curse on himself and to swear. I mean, he began to use vulgar language. And he began to swear that he never was with Jesus, his friend Jesus, the one who saved his mother-in-law's life, Jesus, the one who he, he seen do miracle after miracle after miracle. Jesus, I never knew him. Why is Peter failing? He's failing because he believed in self-salvation. He's failing because he had confidence in his flesh. He's failing because he believed he was strong enough. He's failing because he did not listen to the divine word of God. He's failing because he did not... Pray. He's failing because he thought that he knew himself. God knows you. And Jesus knows the future. And when we read scripture, scripture is constantly warning us of different things. Because God knows that, that if we don't take heed to those warnings, these things will happen throughout the Proverbs. Solomon is constantly warning his son, son, do not do, son, do this. Why? Because Solomon, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, knows that, that if his son is going to have a, a fruitful life, Proverbs chapter 5, he has to beware of the woman who has a tongue like honey. And he's saying as she is wooing you into her home, as she is speaking these sweet nothings to you, as she is getting her house clean and getting her bed ready for you, that if you go into that house, into that trap, that your soul will be damaged. My son, stay away. When we read scriptures, we are reading the divine word of God. And God is revealing to us that he knows us better than we do. And the only way, my son, that you are going to stay away from that, those pixels on that screen, the only way that you are going to stay away from that girl's college dorm, the only way you're going to stay away from, from Mr. Uh, uh, Sweet Talker, Mr. Game Time, is not in your own strength, not in your own power, but in the power of God. Not by making resolutions, but by depending on God through prayer. And genuine worship. We all are like Peter. We all fail. Every single one of us this week failed our friend Jesus. Every single one of us this week failed our Lord. Because we are weak. Sometimes we're Simon. And sometimes we're Peter. But the great thing about this text The great thing about the scripture is that Jesus doesn't fail. In this text, we see how great Jesus is. Second Timothy chapter two, verse 13 says, if we are faithless, he remains faithful. Jesus is the only one who could keep his resolutions. 
starting in verse 8, after Peter makes the confession of faith in Jesus and says, you are the son of God, the son of the living God. Jesus begins to prepare the disciples' heart. He tells the disciples, I am going to be arrested and beaten, and I am going to die. I am going to die, but I will be raised again. Three times, he says, though, he takes them through that as they're walking back to Jerusalem. And what do we see in chapter 15? We see Jesus doing what the disciples could not do. We see Jesus keeping his word. In Gethsemane, we see that Jesus is, is, is starting to understand the full weight. His humanity is starting to understand and feel the full weight of our sin. And he is grieved to the point of death. But what does Jesus do? What does the Son of God do? He runs to the Father for strength and for encouragement. He models for us how we must live. And then he does, he does what he promised. Jesus is betrayed by his friends. Jesus is beaten by his enemies. Jesus is even forsaken by his father. His father pours his wrath out on him, but Jesus, in the heat of the day, allows himself to remain on that old rugged cross. Because he is faithful. That's what we believe as Christians. That's how we handle our failures. We handle our failures by looking to chapter 15. We handle our failures by looking to this Christ that went to the cross and that was resurrected and that kept his word. Look how Peter responds. Verse number 31, I'm sorry, I said 31, verse number 72, and immediately the rooster crowed a second time, and Peter remembered how Jesus had said to him, before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times, and he broke down and wept. The other synoptic gospel says that as Peter denied him, the rooster crowed, that Jesus, who was near to him, as he was getting beaten, as they were finishing up hurting him, he looked at Peter eye to eye. He looked at him eye to eye. And Peter suddenly remembered his resolution. And his heart was broke. His heart was broke. You know, both, all of the disciples fell away. All of the disciples betrayed Jesus. Peter is highlighted while the rest of the disciples fled. At least Peter did stay with, with another disciple. But Peter handled his failure different than Judas. Judas betrayed Jesus, and his apostate, his betrayal, is, is just as dark and devious and evil as Peter's betrayal. But we see that Judas and Peter, they handle it different. Peter is eventually restored. Judas goes and he attempts to hang himself and the, the tree branch breaks and he dies in a potter's field. Peter responded with repentance while Judas responded with remorse. Judas responded with remorse. When we fail, we must look to Jesus. We must trust his process. We must look to Jesus and believe that Jesus can save us. The difference between Judas and, and Peter is this. Judas really never loved Jesus. Judas loved what Jesus could get him. Peter loved Jesus, even though he failed him. The difference between Judas and, and Peter is that after Judas failed, he looked inward for salvation, for peace. And after looking inward, he, he could not find that peace, but Peter did not look inward. Eventually, Peter looked outward. He looked and he saw his Savior's face. And that's the difference between repentance and remorse. We read these words in the Scripture. 
Go to 2 Corinthians chapter 7 really quick. 2 Corinthians chapter 7. Looking at verse 9 and verse 10. When you fail, when you fall, do you repent? Or is your heart filled with remorse? Some of us last night, we failed. All of us in some way, (laughs) but some of us in a very specific way. This morning you woke up feeling dirty, feeling guilty, knowing that the words that you spoke to your brother, the words that you spoke to your husband or to your wife, they're lingering over you. What are you going to do with that? What do you do when you fail? What do you do when you make a resolution and you don't keep it? Do you repent? Or are you just filled with remorse? Paul says this to the church at Corinth. 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 9, as it is, I rejoice not because you were grieved, but because you were grieved into repenting. He has just written a letter to the church, and the church responded well by repenting. But because you were grieved into repenting, for you felt a godly grief, so that you suffered no loss through us. For godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret. Whereas worldly grief produces death. Worldly grief produces death. Worldly grief says, I sinned or I failed. And rather than feeling like David when Nathan confronted him about his sin with Bathsheba, David said, against God I have sinned. Rather than feeling like we have sinned against God, We feel bad maybe because we hurt someone or because our sin is going to be found out by other people. So we're thinking more on the the consequence or we're feeling shame that we have not represented ourselves the way that we wanted to before people. And we feel bad. And some of us, we know that, 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 that juggle of, oh, I feel bad. I feel I should have done better. Some of us, we explain it away and we say, yeah, but I'm only human. And that's what, that was, that's what makes us feel better. Or we'll run out and we'll do a whole bunch of good stuff to make up for the bad stuff. Uh-oh. Hello, lights. Look at your neighbor say, you woke? Amen. Let's just be real. That's, that's a worldly grief. That's a grief that's seeking self-salvation. Godly grief understands that the person that I sin most against wasn't my wife, it wasn't my child, although I have sinned against them. It was against my God. The worst part of my sin is not that other people are going to find out. It's that this holy and righteous God has seen it. And it's incredibly offensive to him. What broke Peter down was he realized that he betrayed Jesus. What must break us down is that we realize that we betrayed Jesus. But at the same time, while we look at our sin and we look at our failure, those who have been saved by God and those who are friends of Jesus, we know that we quickly, after acknowledging our sin, we we look, we continue to look up. We don't look in and, and, and look down, but we look up and we look out to our Savior for restoration and for help. And Jesus is faithful to do so. Right before this all took place, Jesus told Peter, he quoted Zechariah, he said, you all will fall away, but he says the sweetest words to Peter. He says, but when you do, I will rise and I will meet you in Galilee. And what happens at the resurrection of Jesus? What happens? The angel of the Lord, he he comes to the women and he tells them. He says, go and get Peter. (laughs) Go and get Peter and tell Peter that Jesus will meet him in Galilee. Jesus knows that we are going to fall short. And Jesus knows that we are going to fail. And when we fail, we have to remind ourselves that God knew yesterday that I was going to fail today. And he is not shocked. 
But we've got to respond and, and pray that the Holy Spirit will give us the strength because it is the Holy Spirit that gives us the strength to turn from our sin and to look to God, to turn our emotions and our intellect and our will away from the, the very thing that we were worshiping back to the one who deserves to be worshipped. That's what repentance is. It is having a change not only of mind but of heart and of emotions and, and saying I am going in the opposite direction and pursuing the one who loves me. Do you trust the process when you fail? When, we, when you fail, are you in a, a guilt hole for days or for weeks, for months? Or do you look to Jesus for salvation? Some of you, you failed Jesus five years ago. And your walk with Christ has never been the same. Because you're not letting Jesus deal with it. You're trying to deal with it yourself. And what you, what you have done is now you've put up a veil and you've, you've, you've put up a, a front to, to make it seem like your spiritual life is, is vibrant. On Sunday you walk in as if it's vibrant, but you, you know that five years ago when you made that mistake, that you never truly, never truly was reconciled in walking with God in peace. Are you letting Jesus handle your failure? Or are you trying to handle them apart from Jesus? Judas handled it apart from Jesus and it crushed him. Peter handled it apart from Jesus. It crushed him, but he rose to be better than ever. Jesus is faithful. Watch a television show uh, called Chicago Fire. Not sure if you have seen it. Uh, Not sure if it's the best show to be saying I watch. think it's that bad actually let's just stop all right so was watching this show called Chicago Fire and uh one of the lieutenants at the the fire department or whatnot uh had witnessed a car accident and uh at the car accident a gentleman who was drunk ran into a family and the family ended up losing their son and uh the lieutenant witnessed this and he looked in the car after the paramedics had, had come and was talking to the son, and he saw uh, uh, open uh, alcohol bottles. Uh, so he went to report it, and all of a sudden, when he went to report it, the guy had disappeared, and the alcohol had disappeared. And he began to research and find out that the, the gentleman who ran into this family, uh, that it was uh, their son, uh, their, their son who, who ran into this family, uh, was connected to the uh, a very powerful police officer and this powerful police officer was also a dirty cop that uh really had it in with the gangs of chicago so what he began to do is he began to threaten a uh, casey the gentleman who was uh the fire fighter he began to threaten him and uh he began to taunt him uh he even beat him up and and had some gang members jump on him he uh threatened his fiance did all this crazy stuff to him And uh, Casey's chief at the fire department uh, saw that Casey was getting ready to take vengeance on him. And uh, Casey was really boiling and trying to put up a plan to to get this bad cop because he was untouchable. And his chief looked at him and said, Casey, you've got to trust the process. You've got to trust the process. You've got to believe that that the, the, the process is going to work out, that justice will be served the right way. You can't go out and try to make this work in your own strength. And that's what I'm telling you today that Peter did. Uh, Peter got to a place in his life where he could trust the process, where he could trust Jesus' word as faithful. And some of you, you're just guilt-ridden and you're beat up because you know that you're not where you're supposed to be in Christ. And I'm telling you, trust the process. Trust if you have put your faith in Jesus. First Philippians chapter 1, 6, trust that he who begun a good work in you, that he will bring it to completion. Stop killing yourself when you fail, and start looking to the one who gives life. You know, Peter went fishing uh, after he failed. Uh, Jesus appears to the disciples, and, and, and he's, trying to, he's talking to the disciples and teaching them and, and things like that. And, and they're back in Galilee, the disciples are. And one day Jesus isn't around. 
Uh, Peter isn't fully restored, so he says, hey, I'm about to go fishing. And the rest of the disciples said, hey, we're going with you. And they're out fishing, uh, and they're, they're not really focused on a mission, not full throttle. Maybe Peter is still harboring guilt. Maybe he still isn't confident. And the Bible says that Jesus is on shore, and he's cooking some fish for them. And he tells Peter, and he tells the disciples, he says, cast your nets on the other side. And they cast their nets on the other side, and they get fish, and it comes in the boat, and, G- and Peter jumps out the boat, and he swims to sea to see Jesus. Peter had made up his mind after his failure that, yeah, I'm going to kind of pursue Jesus, but I'm going to go back to doing what I was doing. I'm going to go back to living in the flesh. I'm going to go back to Simon because this Peter thing isn't working. But Jesus loved Peter too much to allow him to remain Simon. So he showed up again and he says, no, get these fish, get back to shore. I'm going to be cooking fish. And guess what? I'm cooking fish and I didn't have to go fish because I'm amazing. And I'm everything that you want. I am your satisfaction. I am your peace. I am your joy. I am your love. I can fulfill you. And what does Jesus do? Jesus restores Peter in front of the rest of the disciples. As they're eating, he looks at Peter eyeball to eyeball, and he says, Peter, do you love me more than these? I think that Peter was not talking about, that Jesus was not talking about the disciples. He wasn't asking them, do you love me more than these disciples? No, he was saying, do you love me more than these fish? Do you love me more than what you were uh, committed to before you met me? He asked them that question. He says, do you love me? Three times. Believe that he asked them three times for every time that that Peter denied Jesus. He said, yes, Lord, of course you know that I love you. Jesus went out his way to encourage and to strengthen Peter because he he knew that he wasn't done with Peter yet. He knew that he wasn't done with Peter. About 40 days later, after Jesus ascends into heaven, we see on the day of Pentecost, a lot of people in Jerusalem, and guess who stands up and preaches? Peter. Just 40 days after a massive failure, God uses Peter to spark to spark a revival. 40 days. It's a year ago when you failed. And you're not going to God in prayer boldly. You're not coming before him with joy. That was two years ago when you failed. God could do something with you after your failure 40 days later, four days later. If you've put your faith in the resurrected Lord. But just because he restores us, it doesn't mean that he's still done with us. Because this life is a constant battle between Simon and Peter. Galatians chapter 6, far into Peter's walk with the Lord, God is doing marvelous things. Paul has come to know Jesus. The Gentiles are being saved. Galatians chapter 2, Paul kind of tells on Peter. He says, hey, one day we, uh, I heard from James that one day Peter was eating with the Gentiles. Uh, and all of a sudden, some Jews uh, came in, some Jewish believers, and uh, Peter started acting shady towards the Gentiles uh, because, it, because there were some false teachers teaching that the Gentiles had to be circumcised and to, to, to become like the Jews. So he began to act shady. Uh, he began to act like, hey, I can't eat with you guys because you all aren't doing what these people said. And Paul calls Peter out on his hypocrisy and confronts him publicly because Peter is sinning publicly. And you think that would have crushed Peter, the leader of the church? You think that we would have maybe not heard from Peter anymore? Absolutely not. In Acts chapter 15, the the elders come together in Jerusalem and they have a big meeting in order to to, to put, uh, to decide what what is the right way? What is God saying about circumcision? And we read that it's a a tense environment, the first six, six verses, until Peter stands up. And he stands up. For the Gentiles. And after Peter stands up for the Gentiles, the Bible says that Paul then stands up. The the place fell silent, Acts chapter 15. And Paul stands up and he defends salvation by grace. The early church is brought into unity or more unity. And the mission of God goes forth. This Christian life is a life of falling and getting back up. It's a life of repenting and getting back up. But 
It is a life of progressive growth. I shouldn't be falling to the same thing that I was falling to 10 years ago in the same way and in the same pattern. There should be some progressive growth. And that progressive growth only happens when we are looking in the face of Jesus and when we are seeing Jesus as our friend. Are you looking to the face of Jesus for growth? Are you depending on the power of the Holy Spirit to take your resolutions, to take your areas of weakness, and to transform them? Peter started off timid. He started off uh, impulsive. He was straight up rude. And he ended up being a person of grace. He ended up writing two letters in the New Testament. And he ended up challenging the churches to grow in grace. And guess what? He ended up, at the end of his life, being bold for Jesus. Church history records that Peter and his wife were both arrested for preaching the gospel. And that Peter's wife was dragged off to her death. And Clement writes that as she was being dragged off to be crucified like Jesus, that Peter shouted out, Jesus is faithful. Be faithful. And then Peter was dragged off to his death. And as he was being dragged off to his death, he saw that they wanted to crucify him. Church history records that he begged them not to crucify him upright, but to crucify him in the opposite direction. Because he said, I don't deserve to die the same way as my Lord. A timid, weak man who buckled at a servant girl's questioning died a hero's death. Why? Because he learned to depend on the Holy Spirit. Well, you learn to depend on the Holy Spirit. God wants to use you to bring people to Jesus. Will you learn and pray for boldness so that you can do that? God wants to use you to transform your family, to transform your community. Will you depend on Jesus and the Holy Spirit to do that? Or will you continue to look at your own strength? Today, there may be someone who does not know Jesus, who you don't have a relationship with. You, you, you look and you say, I, I don't understand how, how God can allow injustice to go on in this earth. I don't understand how, how God can allow this or that to happen. Today, I want to call you to the God of Scripture by, by saying that, yes, injustice does happen to this earth. But God became man and he allowed himself to die an unjust death because he loved you. And he 